0: My name is Cade Courtley, and this is Can You Survive This podcast. The show is designed to teach you techniques that will increase your chances of survival if you happen to find yourself or your family in any life-threatening disaster scenario imaginable. Each episode will put you smack in the middle of a new disaster scenario as I challenge my guests to see if they have what it takes to get out alive. Knowledge is power, people. Can you survive this podcast? Greetings, my fellow survivors, and welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast? I'm your host, Cade Courtley, and if you can hear my voice, it means you're still alive, and it is my mission to keep it that way. Uh, folks, very excited about today's guest. Many of you have heard the story, you've seen of interviewed, you've probably seen the movie. Today we have Captain Rich Phillips. The famous captain of the Maersk, Alabama, uh, born in Winchester, Massachusetts, attended the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, uh, but decided to transfer to the Massachusetts Maritime Academy. Uh, captain Rich Phillips, welcome to the show, sir. How are
2: you? I'm doing just fine. Uh, j- j- just to give some import to it, I didn't transfer from UMass. I went to UMass, had a great time uh would love to go back uh but I, I wasn't too focused i had a focus problem and uh <laughs> so i took two years off i took i did a few different jobs i was a bank driver I was a taxi driver i taught schizophrenic kids uh and that's how i, I actually found myself serendipitous into the uh merchant marine but no i had a, a good year off from uh umass uh i got serious uh and i found something i was interested in that that's what brought me to mass maritime
0: So you're saying your first year in college as a freshman, you had a little bit too much fun. Nobody ever does that.
2: Well, I never did a full year. I did six months. And since I was paying for it, I went to the dean and said, hey, I want to quit. I want my money back. And that's where I learned what per diem means. And I said, well, how much can you give me? And they said, "Uh, we'll give you this much back. And I said, well, heck, I got my own room. I got a single. It's a great party place, UMass Amherst. Uh, So I just said, I'm going to stay. But I just didn't go to school, before I knew I was leaving. Uh, come come Christmas, I was gone, but I was going to enjoy it.
0: No, it sounds like my first semester. I spent a little bit more time working on my liver than uh, on my studies, but uh, it is what it is, right? Did you, um, yeah. did you always sort of? Well, I guess I should ask you. When was the first time you were on a boat? Can you remember?
2: Uh, well, a boat, uh, not being a ship. I mean, I always row boats, canoes, Correct. sailboats. You know, of course, all that. Uh, if I was lucky enough to know someone who had a motorboat, that was uh, always a pleasure. But uh, really, it really wasn't until uh, after my first year at Mass Maritime. It's kind of tough. It's a quasi-military school, uh, and not like what you went through. But you know, uniforms, marching, all of. Uh, brinky-dink Mickey Mouse things, I call it, uh, to try and mold you. And uh, I had a hard time. I had a lot of demerits. I didn't go home till Thanksgiving. They had to let me home. Or when I went to school, we went in August. Uh, so uh, I had a little time with um, following orders. I had a little time with uh, uh, just being serious and focused. But after I went to see that first time, within, I'd say, less than two days, once I was on the ship, every summer we would go on a 70-day cruise. Once I got on that, I said, wow, this is what I want to do. And I was focused from then on. I never had another brawl.
0: Oh, that's outstanding. I, my first year in the Navy, I was a surface warfare officer. And I was always curious, what's the difference in sort of the command structure or even the environment, you think, between a naval vessel in the military and being on a maritime ship like you were? And your job, I I imagine it was probably a little bit more lax, but definitely not less professional.
2: Uh, Very much more relaxed. Uh, You know, no no real uniforms. We have minimal people. I've sailed on ships from anywhere from 13 to uh, when I started as a third mate back in 75. uh, uh, I mean, 79. uh, um, It was uh, I sailed on ships with 44 people. So it, it's a different a different amount amount of people that that, that you have uh, sailing on on the ships, uh, and so it, so it's a lot more relaxed. Uh. Uh, our language is quite similar. Uh, our nomenclature, exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's more or less, we have less people, uh, you know, uh, on the ship to do the jobs. Of course, your mission is a lot different from us. We have to move cargo back and forth. That's our priority. And for the Navy, their mission is in military and warfare. Uh, so, so they have to have that uh, redundancy. And it's one thing I'm proud of. The Merchant Marine carries uh, 85 to 90%. Uh, of the uh, of the military's cargo we carry it for them uh, because we can do it faster cheaper uh, we can really support uh, our military which I, I really enjoyed and I had a lot of contacts in the military when I sailed in the merchant marine
0: you know you you cruised on some of the biggest ships in the world but you were talking about crews of 14 20 21 understand the mission was definitely different but is there just a ton of automation on those large ships
2: Uh, There is automation, but I think one thing you know, anything with automation, uh, when you really need it, it's probably not going to work in in, an emergency type situations. You don't always have power. Uh, So all those things that we are now relying on, sometimes too much, uh, you know, once you take the power out of it. sometimes we, we, we're pretty helpless. We've sort of lost that ability to, uh, you know, go without. Uh, uh, and I think that's what a real sailor, you know, a real sailor, sailor is indicative of, uh, you know, you lose power, we go the next thing, we go back to the magnetic compass, we go back to the stars, uh, we, we watch the weather. So uh, I, the automation, yes, uh, which is, uh, I'm sure you believe it. it, isn't always the best thing. I think we really got to have our abilities, you know, uh, before we get to that automation and we start relying on computers and, Uh, mechanical things
0: you know when i was a platoon commander at SIL team one my guys they used to get upset with me hey why are we using compasses why are we using pace counts and i said because if it takes a battery it's going to take a shit exactly when you need it
2: yeah and i was lucky i actually sailed with some pretty old school type uh people i consider myself old school because that's where i learned and i had captains who would shut the stuff off just so we would practice. I mean, when I first started sailing, oh, we always took sights. Uh you know, and it was trying to, to beat that GPS. I mean, the beginning, uh, the, the uh, uh, navigation uh, sometimes would spit out a position every seven hours. You know, we would look at that like an altar and oh, my God, when's it going to come? It's coming in 35 minutes. Well, you don't have to wait 35 <laughs> minutes, you know, and, and that's one thing I enjoyed. I I share with a lot of old school captains who really knew the importance. And, and when things are tough, you can't go the easy way. It's got to got to be the uh, basic old way, hard way.
0: Can you still use a sextant with any accuracy, you think?
2: Uh, right now, I'll be honest. As a captain, I didn't use a sextant. I would I would ask my people to use a sextant. Not everybody comes aboard with a sextant nowadays. You know, in, in right. my day, I uh, I had sailed with captains who would fire if you didn't have a captain. If you came on with a boombox <laughs> back in those days, you better have a sextant in the other hand. Uh, <laughs> you know, because it was required. Now, not, not, not so much. Uh, uh, but, but, but it's just the same thing. If you're relying on something, that means you're dependent on something. Uh, and you got to have multiple ways to, to get out of situations. Uh, can't always do it one way.
0: Yeah, well, sometimes old ways are the best, right? They're at least yeah. reliable. <laughs> what was your, <laughs> sir, what was your first command?
2: my first command was uh actually on the motor vessel green wave a very uh a great ship i still look back and i i, I learned an awful lot it was an old type ship uh, it had uh, uh uh cranes on it uh so i learned how to drive a crane i learned how to do a lot of different things it was multi-purpose containers general cargo brake boat so uh i, I learned to do a lot of things uh, i went on i started a second mate. I did six months, and then uh, uh, as uh, as I was lucky enough to have someone who saw something in me, they sort of brought me back, you know, take your test, raise your license, and they'll bring me back, and that's what happened. And uh, really, in the Merchant Marine, that's the way it works, much like in the Navy, you have a sea daddy who sees something in you. It's nothing I ever really wanted to be as a captain. I never thought about it. I was just there to work. I want to work. Uh, so eventually, other people saw things in me, and they sort of sucked me up that uh, – uh, up that ladder, and I was lucky enough to to, to finally g- get to become a captain.
0: Now, how long were you in the Merchant Marines before retirement?
2: I was uh, 35 years in the Merchant Marine, wow. twenty just shy of 25 as a captain.
0: Oh, that's outstanding. You know, um, we'll get into the obvious here in a minute, but I was wondering – Before the event, the situation on the Merrill Alabama, had you ever been in a life-threatening situation, be it at sea, something random at home? Had you ever sort of been like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this? What happened?
2: Uh, I've been in a few situations. Uh, it's not the first time a gun has been put in my face, to be honest. Uh, I've had a few of those. Uh, sure. The first time, boy, that pistol looks good. Uh, that bullet, that uh, pistol, shoot uh, is huge. Uh, so I've had a couple of those. Not to say it makes you any more comfortable. It didn't. Nope. I was afraid uh, during my whole incident. I was scared, but. Uh, you know, after a while, once you get a gun in your face, uh, it starts to lose a little cachet if they don't use it. So, uh, you know, y- you get to be uh, become uh, comfortable with uncertainty, I guess.
0: Well, if they do use it, you're not going to remember it. So. That's right. Yeah, they're only going <laughs> to use
2: it once, hopefully. <laughs> and anybody,
0: anybody who says they're comfortable with looking at the wrong end of the barrel, well, they might need some extra help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so, sir, I um. I would love to get into, and and I know you've been through this probably thousands of times, but the day of April 9th, 2009, I believe you were eight days into your command of the Mariscal Alabama. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, I I joined on March 31st, the morning of March 31st. Uh, We sailed uh, uh, later that afternoon to to Djibouti, Uh, and uh, the initial uh, incident took place on the 7th. We were followed by the three boats. And then the uh, incident on the eighth. We, we were followed by that one boat after a strange uh, 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 VHF call uh, the night earlier. Uh, that that's when about six oh615 uh, we saw a small boat with a high powered motor three miles astern of us.
0: Well, I'm going to give folks a little bit of background, and we'll, we'll r- roll right back okay. into this. But uh, so, folks, the Mariscal, Alabama it's a container ship. It's just over five hundred. And- Eight feet long it's over approximately 83 feet wide or a beam has a top speed in excess of about 18 knots you had a crew of 21 you had about 17,000 metric tons of cargo a large portion of that was relief supplies heading to oman so no good deed goes unpunished right uh, oh no that, and, uh, and that's
2: one of the ironies it was handshake, uh, what we call handshake cargo in the merchant marine. It was basically Catholic food, uh, Catholic relief organization, UN food program, and mainly the U.S. food program. And the ultimate destination, ironically, was Somalia. For a lot of it.
0: which is which is insane. Uh, you're there trying to help. You're bringing supplies to the very country that decided they wanted to board you. And you 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 had this quote before this happened, and you said. In those waters, any blip on the radar screen is a concern. And then you spoke a little bit earlier, you see the blip, and you'd gotten a, uh, you said you got a, a radio call. Was that somewhat of a, a warning from somebody else, another uh, someone else at sea saying, hey, we just spotted these guys and they're heading out to sea? Or what was that all about?
2: No, uh, that was actually the, the, the night after. Uh... Uh, when we were followed by the three boats and we got away. Uh, My second mate called me up and said, Captain, you need to come up here. There's something strange on the radio. And I came up and uh, I said, what's up? And he says, it was uh, shortly after I think he took over his watch, maybe uh, 0030, 00100. And he goes, something strange just came over the radio. And all of a sudden it came over again. And it said, Somali pirates coming to get you. Somali pirates coming to get you. And that's what we heard that night. Now, we were going by a fishing boat that was well lit up, uh, which there are fishing boats out there. Unfortunately, they're under worse conditions than we are with the pirates because they're easier to board. And uh, it, it wasn't normal to have a lit up fishing boat because that just attracts you know, anything from 20 sure. miles around besides the fish. Uh, and so we watched that and we steered away from it. And I, I, I stayed up there for about 40 minutes. And then I told the guy, keep watching that light if that light, moves i want to know watch the deck if a boat comes off that deck i need to know uh because we knew that that was the uh mo of a pirate attack uh so we watched it nothing happened i, I was up that's uh, at, uh a little after uh 6 uh was on the bridge having coffee and at six forty-five was when we saw that small boat uh, three three and a half miles uh, astern of us. So it, it was uh, the the two did different incidents. The, the night before, say maybe five six hours before we saw that pirate boat. And was it that that the pirates who who attacked me? I don't know because the leader in the lifeboat told me, "Oh, we do that all the time when we don't want when we're tired or we don't want to do anything, and we like to see the ships all zigzag, turn the lights on, turn the hoses on, uh, you know, and go into their their, their mode." Uh, but it's something he said, but he never told me if. It was him that that VHF because with the E layer changing at night, it could have been 200 mm. miles away.
0: So, speaking of that mode, w- how were you able to evade the previous night's three boats that were coming for you? Explain well, it that, was to in folks. The what,
2: yeah, uh, it, it was basically uh, the, the true indicator of any successful pirate attack, and that's the weather. Uh, the weather was a little rougher. We probably had a five, six foot swell running. We had a 15 knot wind and we were able to just get away from them because they couldn't go through the seas. They would slam somewhat similar to what you saw in the movie. They would slam. But, um, you know, as I said, we were actually doing a fire and boat drill that day. And I was on the bridge by myself and I had noticed a blip just over the horizon, which is a uh, normal procedure for the for the mothership, which holds it. And then I just happened to look around because he was sort of tailing us on a port quarter. And I looked around and I couldn't see the boats, but I could see bow waves. And, and maybe it was the wind, maybe it was a boat. So that's when I called up my, uh, called my chief mate and said, continue the drill, but send me, uh, I, f- I forget his name. I think it was John. And he was an older Polish guy who had very mm-hmm. good eyes. And earlier he said, hey, sh- hey captain, there's a ship out there. And I'm looking, where, where? I don't see a ship but you- I have pretty good eyes. Uh, and l- later, I saw it. I go, wow, you got really good eyes. So at that moment, I said, I want his eyes on these on these bowings. So I brought So him these up. pirates. It's the pirates. Later, we so, got to see the boats.
0: All right. So the pirates, their MO was they would put smaller boats, the attacking boats, onto a larger fishing ship. The fishing ship would set up station, would maybe shadow you guys, and then they would decide to launch the smaller pirate attack boats onto your ship. Is that that was their Correct. way of doing business.
2: Yeah, and, and the normal fishing boat will have one or two small boats to do the fishing. But if you see a boat with five or six uh, small skiffs trailing behind, or three or four up on the transom, that's not a good mm-hmm. sign. And the and the in the fishing boat we saw, it, it had uh, two—one in the back, one in the top. So it felt it it, it felt the description of a, a fishing boat. So even though I'm concerned about it. Uh, you know, it seemed uh, to, to to
0: be uh, factual. All right, so but your instincts were kicking in at this point. You're like, that doesn't look right. Yeah, let's keep an eye on it. Let's, you know, let's stay stay aware here. I understand yeah. there was a, another great quote of yours, and, and I guess there was a notice to mariners that went out saying, "Hey, if you're in, stay at least 600 nautical miles off the small coast." And your quote was, "You know what." You were quoted saying 300 nautical miles offshore, 600 nautical miles offshore, 1,200 nautical miles offshore. It was a matter of when, not if, which is one of my favorite sayings. I always tell people about survival. It's not if it's going to happen to you, but when. So kind of explain that a little bit about your thought process as far as, hey, this is a dangerous job, period.
2: (laughs) well uh, i've always considered this a somewhat dangerous job i tell my crews that it's an inherently dangerous job uh, much like many other jobs out there uh safer than yours but uh, like many jobs out there it is a dangerous job so uh i would try and get that and i sailed in that area of the world for four and a half five years and i'd always told my crews it's a matter of when not if so we got to be prepared and i thought if we had procedures and we had a posture uh because basically to me, it's a bully situation. Uh, they think you're unarmed, they think you're an easy target, so we'll make ourselves a harder target. We'll come up with ideas. I, I wouldn't get a lot of ideas from my crew. Uh, one of the ideas we had was uh, was the frequencies. They may know our frequencies, so we may have to change our radios during an incident. Uh, we talked about if you got caught, things not to talk about, uh, things not to say. We talked about getting rid of your keys. Uh, uh, if you hear that signal. So in case you get taken, they don't have a key to, to, to different different areas. Uh, uh, the Basically, it was the lead officers had the master keys. But that, that, that was just some concerns we had. We talked about, you know, getting into our safe room. And and there was even a, a thing put out uh, by the militaries. You know, if you couldn't call the military from a safe room or somewhere and tell them you have all your people together, we're all safe, anybody outside is a bad guy, you uh, they said they wouldn't come. So I told my crew, I said, look, I'm, I'm I'm calling them. If this happens, I'm telling them everybody's safe. Anybody out there is a bad guy. So if you aren't in a safe room, you got to find a place to hide and stay there. And then we talked about, now, don't think it's over. you got to stay there and hide, but you can't come out. You can never come out. We have to find you. And then we talk about if we go through the situation, once everything's controlled, then whoever was the boarding group would then go through the ship completely. And, you know, don't come out. Don't take cameras. Don't yell. Let them find you, uh, you know, and make sure you show your hands. Uh, uh, but that's the schedule. Don't come out at any time, no matter what you hear. Well, so.
0: rewind back to you're at the Maritime Academy. You, did you train or study any of this? Because right now you're talking about a tactical mindset that you had to assume. You were talking about changing frequencies. You're talking about evasion uh, drills, what to do if and when somebody's on the boat, what to say, what not to say, classic interrogation technique stuff. I mean, did you imagine back in school that this was going to be a major part of your job in the future?
2: Oh, I, I think that's the one thing about the Merchant Marine. We have many hats. It's not one physical thing. And, and believe me, we were just concentrated on piracy for our ship, for that area. We were never outside the piracy era. Yes, it was a high concern for us, but there are also priorities behind that and priorities in front of that we, all, we also had to concern ourselves with. So we had to be sort of uh, uh, aware of, uh, of everything. And that was my intention was to impressing on my crew because I usually would. When I boarded the ship, I didn't see the security. I saw it as kind of lax. And I know my chief mate was a good chief mate. Uh, and so what you saw in the movie was very close to what happened. I said, let's snap this security up. Let's get back to where we should be. And, and he, he's got a million things going on, my chief mate. He's the uh, XO, basically. He really is mm-hmm. involved in the day to day, the operational things. And he just, you know, uh, I, I heard it and I understood it because, you know, we're in the middle of three different things. We got repairs, we're doing cargo, we got medical, we got payoff, we got stores, we got. Uh, I know, I understand that. <laughs> But we got to get back to security. Ships are being taken at the anchor outside. So we can't have well, I mean,
0: a day out. I mean, it, it goes back to it's not if it's going to happen to you, but when. So you brought a mindset on where you saw a deficiency and they're like, oh, geez, this, this new captain, he is a pain in the butt. He wants us running these drills. And she's so talking about locking yourselves in and stuff. We got 17,000 tons of this. We got to get on board. I got a job so did, to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and so i mean it reminds me of some of the guys i used to work with why are we doing this but as the captain of a ship that's your baby the crew is that's your family yeah. and so i gotta ask you did any of them come up to you afterwards and say hey hey cap thanks for making us do those drills thanks for making us do that training because that undoubtedly saved lives
2: i I would say that. I would expect that. That's my job. Uh, So I know they appreciate it. And in my mind, I I know uh, I was instrumental as well as they were uh, in the positive outcome. So uh, had we not done that drill, I think it would have been a serious change. Uh, uh, And like I said, when I did the drill, I've never had a drill go exactly right. Never does. Situations don't go. But when I did that drill, I was able to, because I would do things like uh, okay, everybody come on out, we are done the drill, we're going to do a critique, because I would always do a critique after my drills, and all my crew know that. Uh, so I would just call everybody out, and then I'd go to the place, you know, crew mess, officers mess, uh, and I'd say, okay, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Why did you come out? Well, you told us to. I go, we didn't use the non-duress password. I go, this is why we do these things. I mean, and I would also be a pain in the neck, be a pain in the ass, to be perfectly frank, uh, And uh, when I did these drills on other ships, because I'd done them before uh, 9-11, I would go and check the safe room. So I would have my chief mate go go around and try and get into the safe room without the password. i have him just try to uh, knock on the door to have him talk to him. Hey, you guys all right? You know, we don't talk to anybody. We don't answer the phone. We don't, uh, you know, that's just one of the things I was trying to do. But invariably, at one time I walked in, all my guys were there, very good. The doors weren't locked. And then I found... On the other door, this is a new ship I had just got on. I went to the other door, and I and I uh, uh, opened that up, and I go, why isn't this door locked? And my crew member said, because the lock's on the other side. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> well, who made this the safe room, first of all? And then I said, well, I'm not going to change it. You guys are in this mode. I'm going to keep the mode, but chief changes lock right now. We, and then I went through the procedures. Uh, you got to understand, when I came home, a lot of people didn't believe in piracy. It's the uh, Walt Disney, it's the uh, Cutlass and Swords and the Beautiful Woman and the Errol Flynn. But it's not. It's just uh, AK-47s, 9 millimeters, uh, hatchets uh, or whatever. So um, for, for, for me, it was trying to get my crew just to, to buy into it. A, a lot of times, my crew really didn't believe it. You know, piracy, that's not going to happen to us. And my thing was just, it is going to happen to us. So I would try and really pick them up. Now, I will say, after the incident, as I'm sure you've seen, when anybody's been in an a extraordinary situation, a dangerous situation, and they did it, and they came out right, and it all came out right, and they did what they're supposed to do in their trying time boy, that makes you feel good. That really makes you believe you're training. That gives you confidence. So after that, when I went back to shipping, I never had to really pull the guy from the back row who was falling asleep. Uh, You know, uh, everyone was really into it. It's the same as someone uh, who's been in a fire situation. Uh, You don't have to, you know, spoon feed them. They're going to suck that information right out of it because they know that they need it.
0: Well, absolutely. Look, A few months ago, nobody believed a pandemic would happen and look at us now. So, uh, I love the mindset that you brought to that command. And, uh, even though, you know, just the fact that, Hey, we're going to train for this, it, it, it will happen. And then the attention to detail that you're trying to force on your crew, like, well, the lock's on the wrong side of that hatch. Let's get that fixed. Or it's an unsafe room. (laughs) But um, explain a little bit more about the drills that you did so people can understand when you were actually confronted with it, how you implemented that as far as, you know, the evasive maneuvering, the water canyons. And I want to get into, you know, firearms a little bit.
2: Okay. Uh, Well, it was the first ship I ever been on that didn't have weapons. Uh, why Why is that? Uh, uh, because we were chartered to mask and they didn't believe in weapons. They, they came out with a policy restating their policy of no weapons aboard due to the liability, due to the chance of someone shooting each other, going postal or something. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, th- they really weren't for it. My company always had uh, central Gulf lines, Waterman Steamship, always had weapons. Uh, sometimes multiple gun lockers, thousands of rounds. And we, we're trained in small arms, not extensively, but we able to use them, break them down, clean them, and and fire them, and uh, so that. so I'm,
0: joining joining Marisk, did that did that piss you off? I mean, that had to be sort of like why uh, the hell we not?
2: Were, all the captains w- w- were concerned. I'll tell you, I, I was at, in the office. They usually bring in the office, and there were two captains there, two friends of mine who I know, and and they uh, they want to talk about everything: security, budget, food, medical, injury. You know, they they just bring us in to go through the whole spiel and. Uh, uh, and, and we were all concerned, uh, you know, with piracy. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, we knew it's going to take an American ship. Uh, uh, and uh, I think at that time, people just believe, oh, it's a point, point oh one percent chance of an American ship being taken by pirates. Uh, you know, the, the odds, the risk analysis is don't worry about it. And indeed, you got to remember during that time, insurance companies uh, were telling you, don't fight the pirates. Don't make them mad. Uh, it, it, just do as they say. Three months later, the money will be dropped and they'll free you. Uh, but that, that's not something I could put up, and that's not something I could have my crew go through. So uh, I just didn't believe in it. It's, uh, a ship is a U.S. Uh, territory. We are U.S. Uh, and so I think we have to protect it. And uh, that, that's one thing we all did. I mean, and we had multiple things. We had axes, we had poles, we had uh, hatchets. Uh, we, we had 40-pound uh, twist locks we could throw down, as well as the hoses. In the movie, they were cannons. These were just uh, hoses that I left in place, uh, valves open. Uh, I probably believe it was seven of them. And then all you got to do is, is push the button, the fire pump, and boom. Uh, so, yeah, so that right. was just
0: basically remember, was coming off the sh- coming off the ship's fireman, and you just
2: activate, right? And, and so it's basically a posture. We had lights going, whistles blowing, uh, you know. So they knew that we knew where they were, and I said that's a posture that may be enough sure. to initially send them away. Uh, but if not, we'll, we'll we'll go to the next step. Uh, so I just
0: want to I just want to get this straight. Company policy at the time was no firearms, and just do what they tell you to do.
2: Well, no, the mass policy was no firearms, right. but the insurance uh-huh. companies, the people handling it, some insurance companies, because we got we a lot of information put out. We, we were flooded with things, but that's what they were telling you. Uh, basically, the maritime insurance, uh, the, uh, we were just, you know, don't fight them. Don't make them mad. Uh, you know, three months, uh, the money will be dropped and they'll be free. So okay, so uh, that, that, that was some of the things we were being told on the ship, which... I told my crew we weren't
0: doing that. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. We used to have a thing in the SEAL teams. It'd be like, all right, you do your one brief for the bosses, and then you pull the boys in, and you tell them how it's really going to go down. So yeah, sounds man. like there's a little bit of similarity there. I love it. Um,
2: <laughs> White hat, blue hat. <laughs>
0: exactly. So the previous day you had, for lack of a better term, repelled or prevented aborting. Right. So that they, had to give you some to us.
2: They, they never yeah. got closer than uh, I think it was a mile and a half.
0: So that had to give you some confidence like okay what we're doing is okay we can we can deal with this a uh, several hours later these guys are putting a ladder up and they're climbing aboard the Mariscal, Alabama. Take us the. Well, there.
2: it was, yeah, 24 hours later. Uh, no, we really felt good. My crew felt good. There was actually jubilation that, you know, hey, these things do work. And during that time, the chief engineer, Mike and I, started working on things, how fast can we go? Because uh, I'm a firm believer in uh, treating everything like a Volkswagen bug. You know, don't go fast, don't slam the brakes, uh, something's going to happen. So I says we're going to need to go fast, but I'm going to need you down there to bypass the automation so we don't slow down because we get a differential in our temperatures or or heating up of a cylinder uh because if that happens then we're down to five knots automatically so he writes which he'd get a call before the alarm went and i says if you get a call go that this is what it's about it's the only time you're going to get a call from me uh, you know, you need to go to the engine room get the first, and then if we need to go to alarm station, we'll go to alarm station. But so he's I like, would "Hey, skipper," down there already.
0: And you're like, "Hey, skipper, we got a high vibration on." You're like, "I don't care, override it. We're going no, full no, throttle."
2: No, <laughs> Mike was very good. I will say, uh, Mike says you still got more. You still got more. We're good. You know, we, he really gave me feedback, and we both learned how much we could put on that engine, and uh, we became a little more confident that we could you know, do a little more than we thought prior to that. So we learned some things uh, from that uh, day before with the three boats.
0: On the evasive maneuvers, okay, so you're blazing along, but you've got a cargo ship full of containers. Was there ever a point where, man, if I... Go a little bit too much rudder at this speed, we run the chance of dumping the containers or this ship dumping over. What was the point where, like, man, I can do this much, but if I do two degrees more at this speed, this whole thing's gonna be a just train wreck?
2: Yeah, well, I was never worried about the containers. I was never worried about the cargo.
0: <laughs> sure.
2: During the whole incident. Uh, no, well, I guess
0: I, I, I'm asking you that not, uh, not from the standpoint of containers over crew. That's right. a no-brainer. But, I'm just wondering, but, with all that weight on that ship and you're doing the evasive maneuvers, did you ever worry about, this thing could go over at this speed if I push it too much?
2: Uh, no, no it, it, it would never turn turtle. Uh, but what would happen was by turning uh, anything more than five degrees at at those higher speeds will automatically increase the temperatures, you'll get a deviation and the automation shuts you down. So I knew that. Uh, And that's why I didn't start evasive maneuvering until after they got probably a mile behind us or nine tenths of a mile, because I wanted to maintain as much speed as I can. Once you start maneuvering, you've just lost two and a half knots. Exactly. Uh, So now the speed is less. Uh, so now you're slower, making it easier to board. So I didn't start the evasive maneuvering until, I'm going to say, nine-tenths of a mile they were behind us. Uh, and I wasn't worried about that because I I would play with my ship, uh, you know, just to see what it could do, anchoring, unanchoring, killing time. Uh, so, so I've done that. I've always done that with ships because uh, that's the one thing that we really don't get as you come up from a third mate, second mate, uh, chief mate, is you don't get that ship handling. And, and so I was, I always felt negligent or deficient. So I'd always take a time to play and see how things work.
0: You know, I was, uh, officer of the deck as a young ensign one night, it was the midwatch and the skipper said, Hey, do some soundings, which is where every five knots, you figure out how much noise you're putting out for figuring out sonar issues and detection issues. And yeah. I just, I looked over and I was like, I'm never get a chance to do this again. So I told, uh, the helmsman, I go f- all the way. Go full, full ahead. Let's see how fast this thing can do. So I'm in, I'm having my own fun at 1am while the skipper's asleep. And, uh, he wakes up, uh, and he sees that we're doing 28 knots in a stateroom. That was the last time I got a chance to do that. But (laughs) <laughs> Fuck it. It, it was fucking worth it man it was so fun so let's go to the first time you lay eyes face to face with one of these pirates tell me a little bit about what's going through your brain
2: Uh well the first time i really got close enough to even bother seeing their faces was when the guy made it to the bridge right uh, you know and then we, we were within uh three feet of each other uh, and it was very, uh, uh, very scary. And I mean, you can see the commitment and the, uh, Evil doings on his face that I think in the movie, and and Tom Hanks in the movie, I think it's one of the true times. Is you can see his sort of smoke coming out behind his eyes, and he's just sort of wondering, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And that's how it was for me. Uh, You know, I was just, okay, we got to calm things down here. We got to build a rapport. Uh, uh, We got to get my guys out of here. And my fear was that someone would be killed, and once someone's killed, uh, there's no need to stop. And and that's my fear. We got to keep people from getting hurt yes but killed more importantly we got to keep them from being killed and, and we and we had to work with the the, the, the pirates you had to build some kind of rapport uh you know a uh, relationship uh you know just so i could uh slow everything down try and figure out ways to try and extricate my crew myself from that situation
0: so you went right into a de-escalation mode now having done some work in that area and several of my buddies who were there before during what's Famously known of as Black Hawk Down. A lot of these folks do something that's called cot. Are you familiar with what cot is? I'm sure you are. I've
2: in that area of the world for many years. I've seen cot. New York has a a flourishing cot trade uh, in New York City.
0: (laughs) So um, basically for anybody out there that doesn't understand what cot is, it's basically like a really cheap version of crack that a lot of these folks, they'll wake up, they'll do it all day long, they will be a mess. Do you think these guys were on that stuff when they got on your on your ship? Uh,
2: they could have been uh, before the incident, but in the lifeboat, I never saw the situation uh, of the cod. I never saw that, uh, which was is, is sort of surprising. Uh, uh, did they eat all eat all they had before? Uh, I don't know, but I did not see uh, any any use of cod. Uh, uh, they they were smoking cigarettes when they came on. They did have lighters, uh, but uh, I didn't see any caught. But you could see by the lack of sleep, even though they take turns sleeping, uh, and the stress that the uh, I guess just the visible U.S. Navy behind them, you could see that. And then initially, they really could less about the Navy's presence. They knew it was coming. Before they came, they were looking at the skies. They were looking around, waiting for it almost. And uh, initially, when the lights came on and the PA and the flashing lights, uh, it, 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 you know, they, they jumped. But after that, you know, normal routine. We're going back to Somalia. They're not going to do anything. Uh, and then we'll wait for the money. So it really wasn't until Saturday that they really started. I could see them starting to get nervous, hinky, jumpy.
0: Yeah, they I mean they figured hey this will be standard operating procedures we'll get our money in a few months they'll leave us alone yeah well, not this time <laughs> uh, re- let's um, so you've got your we're back and in tracking a little bit but you've got the crew locked away in the engine room you're trying to de-escalate on the bridge and just from there to the point where you find yourself on a lifeboat. Just I I just the thing that's really fascinating to me in every survival situation is the mental aspect what's going on upstairs You know, you're trained to do certain things physically. You should react to certain things, but mentally I just I kind of Not to sound like it's a sofa therapy, but I just want to hear from that point where you're trying to de-escalate, And then once we get on the life raft, it's probably a whole different set of things going on upstairs So let's let's talk about they're on the ship and then to the point where you're getting ready to get into the lifeboat.
2: Well, well, it started, uh, you know, they, they once they boarded, they put my, uh, third mate, my AB under gunpoint, you know, very, very threatening to them. Uh, they, 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 uh, uh, they wanted me to stop the engine. I'm telling you can't stop the engine It stops slow. you got to go through the, uh, through this steps. It's automation. You can't just stop it. You can't put the brake And They know he went over and he just stopped it. And, and I sort of, smiled at that because that was my excuse. Uh, the next thing he wanted me to do is to uh, uh, call all the crew. You know, And I called the crew uh, uh, over the EPA and, the, and my radio, but I didn't use the non-dures password. So most of my crew knew, knew to stay in hiding. Uh, there was one crew who came up uh but uh most of my crew knew knew to stay in hiding and then they said uh where's the crew is i don't know where the crew is i'm here with you uh and then they said make the ship go and i I I can't make it go uh they go make the ship go shoot you and your two crew here i said i can't make it go you broke it uh you know i had to convince them that what they did broke broke the ship and you know then they're wondering why is it a lemon why is it a broken ship why is it a uh, you know, this situation, because now they're finding themselves in a different situation. Uh, they can't find the crew, the ship doesn't work, they can't get back to Somalia. Uh, and one of the first things they did was they wanted to go to the back phone, the satellite phone. And they gave me a, a number in Somalia. I know it was Somalia because the country code. And I dialed it. But uh, you know, one thing, uh, training is important. And when you use a sat phone, you got to hit the pound key at the end in order to make it through. So I do the number and they'd watch the LED. They knew I was fooling with them. And I go, look, that's a number. Look at the number. Bad cell service. And so they were sort of upset about that because I guess that was their procedure. Then they went to the uh, uh, radar uh and they didn't really know too much about a radar but they could see the picture but, but while they were looking at the phone i was able to switch the radar to, uh, to denigrate it so we wouldn't have seen an aircraft carrier next to us so when they went to the radar now his face got quizzical i mean you could see some worry in his face which he didn't have previously uh because he can't see the mothership and then he went to the vhf which is their third procedure i guess uh and he went to the good talk on that i guess in somalia i don't know what kind of language they probably spoke three or four languages and uh uh, he got no answer and he was just quizzically. You'd see him uh, sort of shaking his head. as see droplets of sweat start coming out. Uh, before he got to the VHF, I was able to switch it. So uh, from 16, the International Calling and Distress frequency to some other channel, and he never got an answer. So now he's really worried. And then he, that's when he turned to me and stopped the ship up. I can't stop the ship up. So then they're stuck, and now they go into their mode of trying to find my crew. So initially they went out to try and find my crew. They can't find anybody. And then they take me around. The first time I went with the leader, and he had his pistol. So he had his pistol beside me, but he was very concerned about getting me getting near him. Uh, so after the second time, we came back. We didn't find anybody, uh, and we went down again. But the second time, I noticed as we were going out the door, he slipped the gun to his uh, guy. I think he was worried about losing the gun and giving it to us so he didn't have anything i could have got away then i mean he was a little guy um Mm -hmm. but i still have three guys up above at the bridge on the gunpoint so it did me no good so um So we went through and there was some humor to the situation uh one time i went down with a taller pirates going through the ship trying to find things i say hey you guys thirsty? come on we'll get some juice come on we got plenty of juice we got bacon we got food and so we would bring them up we're all bringing up food they got their ak-47 under their thing they got a (laughs) bag full of food and he drops a bunch of stuff and i go hey you want me to carry that gun for you uh and he just sort of smiles at me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we laughed and we continued up the the, the uh, stairwell, uh, the ladder well, up, uh, back up to the bridge. But they con- they were going around the ship multiple times, and they get more and more. Where's the crew? And that's what they constantly queried me. Where's the crew? Where's the crew? And my answer was always the same. I don't know where they are. I'm here with you. So that yeah. whole time, I was basically in problem solving mode. And to be honest, that's one of the criticisms I have of myself, uh, because. Uh, um, I finally started letting them know, hey, hey, I got thirty-five grand in my safe. I mean, you can't find my crew. You can take that boat. When we're going around the ship. They would ask me, uh, oh, what's that boat? Is that a good boat. Oh, that's an excellent boat. Our rescue boat. And it's got an outboard motor. It's it's diesel, but it's got an outboard motor. And uh, uh, and they go, how much? How much fuel? I go, you can go a thousand miles on that thing, uh, you know. And they're looking it over. They're checking it. Uh, you know, don't touch that. You'll break that. You know. And finally, he lifts the back lid, and there's the two and a half gallon tank. Huh. Uh, and he looks at me, and we just sort of smile. <laughs> so then You're he like, had us he had us go get extra fuel. So we went to the emergency generator room, and I got him some extra fuel all the time, trying to get it from the bottom, so all the gunk and the yeah. shit would all clog up. And then they made my chief mate go get him food. Once we got on the Rescue boat. This we need food. We need more fuel. And so I said, uh, "Mate, we need more fuel. We need more." So he goes, "I'll get your food." And this is sort of my this is my chief mate. Uh, he's he's got a sense of humor. Uh, he went to to our night lunch. It's basically our horse cart department. Uh, he went to our night lunch. got all the night lunch, which most humans won't eat, uh, and he gave him all the pork. Uh, you know, and so when, when he dropped it down, I'm laughing and he's laughing up top. uh But but uh, you know, and then he got his fuel. And then over the radio later, when we pulled away from the ship, he goes, "Don't worry, I put plenty of water in that fuel." I go, "Thanks, mate." <laughs> so uh so once we got uh, the whole time on the ship, I was just in in. Uh, 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 problem solving mode and- no but
0: that's uh that's the point that is so awesome that i didn't know until i got a chance to talk to you from the point that that guy is on the bridge you never stopped thinking doing psychological operations trying to take it you were you were fighting the fight the whole time water in the fuel sediment in the fuel jacking with the radar not trying to, not initiating that. You were constantly problem solving and fighting the fight, which is, I got to be honest with you. Most people aren't that good in that kind of situation. I got to give you credit. I didn't know you were jacking with these guys the entire time in subtle ways, but effective ways.
2: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I thought that was important. I mean, that, that's just stuff. Uh, I don't think you'll, you just learn that on the street. Uh, You know, I I knew I was uh, in in a diminished capacity with them with guns. So for me, I, I really, and people ask me, did you think about your family? Did you think about your kids? I go, no, I didn't think anything about them. My whole body, my whole mind was consumed with trying to find the solution. And that's what I talk about my problem. Once we're in the rescue boat, the rescue boat actually broke down. But I'm still in my problem solving mode and I'm getting the tools out and I'm starting to get this thing working. What I should have done and what the SEALs told me later, (laughs) uh, had I really been thinking, I would have said, hey, Captain Shane, take off. You got one of the prisoners? The crew is safe? Take off. Uh, We'll we'll just sit here and wait. And that's what I should have done. And that's the big uh, negative I take away. I was too caught, uh, caught up in that. I was right down to the problem of that little motor on that little boat when the big problem was the pirates.
0: Well, I tell you what, just the fact that you were staying in the fight, doing everything you could. I think that is just a really good example of a great leader because you're not like you said, "I wasn't thinking about my wife and kids." No, you've got a responsibility and those guys are right there on your ship. And huh. so it's it you know, it's a very unselfish way of dealing with a problem like that. I don't have time to think about my kids. I got enough going on right now with my crew, my other kids. Yeah. So I, I think it's really commendable. So you are on that lifeboat and tell me in maybe a sentence or two as you're pulling away and your distance from the Marisc Alabama your ship is increasing that had to be I, I know you're still in the game you're still fighting the fight but that had to be kind of like a punch in the gut like oh crap
2: actually not uh it was actually uh, I'm not going to say celebratory, but I was halfway there. I only had to take care of myself now. Uh, so actually it, it was, uh, it felt good. Uh, and one of the humorous things that happened then, uh, you know, I was showing, the guy wanted me to show him how to operate the boat. So it's showing how to operate the boat. Well, now the mask is underway. We can hear the rumble of the main engine and the lifeboat. The mask <laughs> uh, Alabama is underway and following us right behind us. Captain Shane is right on my tail. And, uh,
0: the talk pirates. about turning! Talk about turning the tables, huh?
2: Oh yeah! Oh, the <laughs> pirates were just astounded. Their mouths were down, and then they started getting scared, and they say he's trying to run us over. And I turn to him and I say, "Of course he's trying to run us over. He wants my job." <laughs> 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 and and they were really scared. They actually put me up to steer and operate the boat.
0: Over by the Mariscal panel.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I told Shane, I say, do it, do it.
0: <laughs> Put me out of my misery. These guys stink. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, because I thinking, you know, I I would have a chance. I could swim. Uh, I would have a chance. But, you know, that would end it right there. And, and I would have had no problem if Shane had done that.
0: So explain to me your couple days on this lifeboat. The smells, the feeling, the fatigue, the dehydration. I mean, obviously, you've been, you've been redlining for the last several days. The exhaustion is, is going to kick in. I probably explained it, but I want to hear it from you.
2: Well, you're right. It was the adrenaline. So uh, we would only sleep uh uh really fully from like uh midnight to one uh to like five in the morning just before sun the sun came up because that's the coolest part of the day and we would all it was like we were individual people we would all just sort of sit there and just soak in the coolness because we knew what was coming, and I knew what was coming. You know, uh, aside from the temperature, uh, so that was our point of day. I think we all sort of uh, re, 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 reformed, regrouped, and, and 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 got ready for the day. Uh, but but it was still you know conversation on, on that lifeboat. Uh, uh, there was still uh, the th- things go- going on that, uh, that that are strange, the things that that, that they were doing. Uh, And as I said, I could see their commitment. They weren't going to give up. Uh, I got to admire them from that. And and that's one thing I talk about in the start of, you know, when any bad thing happens, you're in a tough situation, you know, your resolve to see it through, I think, is one of the most important things. And that's why I said, I'm going to see this through no matter how it happens. Uh, Because they also sort of pissed me off.
0: Well, sure. And I was going to ask you that. At one point, did you go from, I don't know how this is going to end, to now I'm just I'm just freaking fed up at this point. I mean, there had to be a whole range of emotions over those days of, no. okay, I'm a little nervous. Now I'm pissed. Okay. Now I'm concerned. Uh, this is going to be fine. Oh no. shit. I don't know if I'm going to get out of this. It, it was, was it just a range of emotions. Uh,
2: it was mainly, I'm not going to get, 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 uh, get, get out of this. Uh, you, you know, it, it's, it, but I said, I got to put that emotion aside. I got to take emotions out of it. Cause I think emotions do can screw you up. So I just said, "Hey, I'll do the best I can. You do the best you can. That's all you can do." Uh, so, and I still maintained. I wanted to maintain that I was still, uh, uh, you know, I, I was not one of them. I was not a hostage. I was not a passenger. I was there. Uh, you know, I was. I was the other side. I wasn't with them. So I wanted to keep that maintained, and I wanted to try and keep myself as a human in front of their eyes. Uh, at one point, a uh, Saturday morning, which was late Saturday morning, was probably one of the scariest times. We heard this buzzing outside the, uh, uh, the, the uh, lifeboat. And I'll tell you, it's the scariest time I think I had uh, because I saw the fear, abject fear, in those four guys with guns weapons and all of them slink back they would look up to anyone and then just slink back uh, waiting for an imminent attack they, they tried to put a blindfold on me and put a guy with a gun to my head the young guy uh but i kept knocking them off and you know the leader would go by and he smacked me in the head i said what are you gonna do tie me up what are you gonna do shoot me you're about to do that anyway uh so uh i was mad and i uh you know so i just wanted to dig at them uh, because they were so fearful, uh, even though I know it was on a, a, a tight, tight finger, I'm sure, but I could see and they made preparations whenever they thought they were going to be under imminent attack, they would start taking our extra fuel buckets, turn them on the side, you know, undo the caps so the top would be in the bottom. So if the shooting started, boom, they'd kick it. And then they the, the first shot would have been to me. They made that perfectly clear. And then they would have, uh, you know, just died in, in the end. They were committed.
0: So I, wow. So I, obviously the never quit mindset, I think helps everybody and anybody, especially in that situation. I did not realize that they had, Hey, we're going to do this or die. They were like, if this goes South, we're all going to burn up up here. I had no clue yeah. about that.
2: Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I could see that they were very deliberate on that. Uh, the leader was very good. Uh, you know, I had told them uh, in a light boat because uh, it was slower with them uh, sure. on the ship. It was too busy. On the the lifeboat, it just slowed down. So we had conversations. One of them, I said, you know, you're you're a good leader, but you got this little Napoleon thing going on. Uh, uh, And he was. He never would really talk too much. He would always belittle me. He would always come down on his guys uh, if they started talking to me too much or doing things. Uh, So I I would say he was a a fairly good leader. Uh, He he just was in the wrong business.
0: So... There was a point where you're just like, screw it. I'm going to start poking the bear back because you you were probably at this point, several days into it where you're just like, you know what? I'm over this thing. However it ends, it ends, but I'm not going to go cowering in a corner. I'm going to start, I'm going to keep fucking with these guys.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it was really true and, and they saw it. I, uh, they did get in my head for a little while, you know. They they would go through these mock ritual executions, you know, with a gun to my head, yeah. And you know, they just dry fire it, you know, to uh, to, to to get to uh, to get me going. And the you know, in the first time they did it, uh, I was just a trembling mess. I was just crouching. I'm waiting for the hit, you know. I'm just okay. Let's go. Uh, and I was just trembling. Well, after they do that four or five times, you know, near the end, the leader's giving me a hard time. You're getting in my head, going. Good military posture, good military posture, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but but we were going back and forth, you know, uh, on the lifeboat. Uh, they, they're, uh, they, their light is you know. And dur- during the time on the ship, I gave them Cokes, I gave them cigarettes. And so um, I'm giving them a hard time. I'm telling oh, what are you, you you're jonesing for that butt, huh? You'll never get that thing. You'll never have another cigarette there. How are you going to last? Uh, and, and they'd shut up, shut up. And uh, so then they took the flashlight apart, they hold the cone outside, one held the cigarette, and they're trying to light it uh, from that, from the glass, like a magnifying <laughs> glass, I'm, and I'm giving <laughs> a hard time, you'll never get that lit, that's an old wise deal, you'll never get that friggin' thing lit, and they, uh, they turned to me 40 minutes later, puffing on the cigarette, they all lit their cigarettes, and then just started laughing at me, and then I laughed with them. And they thought I thought I was laughing with them. But I'm laughing because within five feet of me, in any emergency craft, there's always matches. Uh, I could get them to about five or six books of matches if they wanted. But, you know, th- that was our little combat uh, 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 back and forth. And in the <laughs> end, you know, the leader really, I really didn't, didn't like them. Uh, they stopped letting me go to the bathroom. They made me piss my pants, you know. And I really, the first time, I really felt like an animal I was. I was incensed. I was swearing at him. I was cussing him. And uh, uh, after that, uh, you know, after I did it, you're already wet. Uh, and, you know, the guys didn't like the smell, you know, and I said, uh-huh. well, yeah, have some more. <laughs> That's yeah, when you start thro- Sunday, throwing it at him. <laughs> yeah. And by Sunday, it was really a, a mess. And I was actually yelling at him and I said, you guys need to clean this place up. It stinks and it's stunk. And uh, so they started throwing things out and, uh, trying to get in order, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the lifeboat. But, uh, you know, I, I always wanted to make sure that they knew I'm their adversary, I'm a human, uh, and, and we're going to play it to the end. So uh, I, I thought that was important. I don't know why. And the other thing I look back, uh, it's an irony to it, you know, I don't know why I thought I had to sit in that uh, uh, third seat on the port side, uh, you know, three seats from the door. Uh, I, wanted to, I want to do because I thought I could be able to escape like I did the first time. Unfortunately, they caught me. But I thought I want to be near that door so I can be out quick. Uh, times they move me, and then I would just make a reason to go back to that seat. I still don't know why. It was just a, a talisman. I had to be in a seat. And so whenever the seals came by, uh, you know, they, they, if I wasn't sitting there, they uh, where do you sit? And if I go, this is where I sit. I sit here all the time. This is where I sit. Uh, and, uh, that's how they knew where I sat. Uh, mm-hmm. because I, for some reason, I don't know why, I don't know. It just came to me in the light bulb. I held on. Maybe it was my last straw or, uh, I got to stay in the seat. And it, and it well, turned out to be crucial.
0: You, uh, well, that was a very, very important piece of information for those guys as they've told me, but, you touched on it. Did you realize that uh, the cavalry cavalry was arriving in the form of the United States Navy and SEAL snipers?
2: Well, I, I saw the, the ships. I saw all three ships, and that was one of the confusion. Come Saturday, I go. Where am I in? And- in Gitmo Bay, I see three ships. I see uh, uh, Captain gigs going by. I, I actually, I don't know if I dreamed of. I could have sworn I saw a woman and a guy, go. you know, a naval woman, uh, officer or something. And a gig go by. I go, where the heck am I? Am, am I at a Navy base? And they were telling me that they worked for the Navy. Uh, and also for my company, we're just ch- checking the security. And they said, yeah, come on. Uh, after this is over, we'll take a lifeboat back down to Mombasa. You can come with us if you want. I go, yeah, I'll go down to Mombasa so. on a lifeboat. They have a a contract with the US Navy to run a radio navigation aid in, in in the Goa and if I wanted to work and help them. So you're getting a job application. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and they also said uh, that we had met before. I like, oh yeah, we met in Mombasa. We we've met you before. I go, okay, I don't know. I go, where do you live? He goes, Mombasa, he lives in Mombasa. Where do you live? He goes, I live in Times Square. Oh
0: Christ. <laughs> well
2: So it was a lot of strange things they were yeah. saying.
0: Well, it, it's it's funny during times like this and of uh, life threatening situations and high stress, some of the crazy comedy that can come out of that stuff. And you've touched on some of it, but just is there something that you remember distinctly You're like all In the middle of all this, and I'm peeing my pants, and they're mock-executing me. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, it's it sounds like the deer hunter, to be honest with you. You could, be, could have been De Niro, but is there that one thing that sticks in your mind? out <laughs> of all this craziness. I can't help but laugh about this.
2: Uh, we're, we're in the lifeboat. It was the first day, and the leader, my crew, had cut his hand when they took him as hostage. So uh, he's, he's complaining about his hands. You can see he was cut, you know, not a bad cut. And they had the first aid kit, and they're sort of looking at it. And you know, they, they don't even recognize anything that's in there. And so finally he says, give me that. And I said, sit down. And so I sat next to the guy, and uh, I took the first aid kit, and I got my tape out, and, uh, my, my, my Telfa pads, and then I got my tape out, and I'm starting to cut it with my jackknife. And you know how sometimes in a room you feel this uh, change in atmosphere, a little electricity? Well, I felt that, and I looked up, and all four of us are within three feet. Our heads are all together, as I'm taping this guy's uh, hand, and they all look up. And I can see little blurbs coming out of their heads like a comic strip, uh, and they're all <laughs> saying the same thing. We didn't check them for a knife. after i was done they (laughs) maybe give him the knife back but i i took care of the leader's hand you you know because they they really didn't know what to do but but that was sort of you know (laughs) they they forgot to search me
0: (laughs) get back to that whole attention to detail thing all right my favorite part the happy ending here uh my boys were given the opportunity to be part of this and i'm just wondering after you hear these shots, well, first question, did you anticipate the Navy was going to do something, or did you think, oh, they'll just ride this out like normal would we'll be in Somalia? Did you think they were going to take a direct action?
2: I think they would take a direct action if they had a, if they had a plan that they thought could work. But I was thinking, how, how would I get out of there? And I didn't see anything aside from me jumping out of that boat that, that would get me out of there. Uh, they were ready. And remember, they were tying up the dog. So if you tried to sneak in from outside, you wouldn't have, been able, they would have heard you and you wouldn't have been able to get in. So they did have a little moat around themselves, uh, literally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for, for, for protection from a surprise, uh, surprise attack. So, no, I didn't think I didn't think, uh, I didn't think it, it was possible. I knew we were taken under tow, but right. people don't realize the pirates asked for that. Yeah. So they wouldn't be attacked by another pirate group, I was told. No, I had no idea. And to be honest, once the shooting started, just before the shooting, I had actually tried to jump in the water, try to cool, something they'd been doing for four days. And they stopped me and they put me back in my seat. And I was just uh, mad. I was hot. I was dirty. And I said, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to lie down. So I turned to lie down in the middle aisle. Uh, and and uh, from outside of the boat, someone had yelled out, what's the problem in there? Because when I was doing what I was doing, uh, the, one of the Pirates shot is AK. And they said, no problem, no problem. Uh, and I was just sitting, all fours facing forward, and that's when the shots rang out. Uh, and I just go back right to my seat, and hug, hugging that deck so hard, the, the only thing that would have shot at me would have been my rear end. But I'm thinking, I'm yelling out, what the heck are you guys doing? Uh because I thought it was the three pirates. That Easter Sunday was a tough Sunday. The leader went to the Bainbridge, and those two were starting to bicker, and they were starting to really get on the younger one, uh, coming to near blows and cussing and swearing at him almost as much as me. And uh, I thought they were finally pissed off without the leader's presence and controlling them. They were shooting at each other from each end of the lifeboat, and I'm yelling, what the heck are you guys doing? Well, after it stopped, got quiet, I picked my head up, I saw one of them was there. He'd been shot a couple of times. He was—he uh, didn't have long to live. I could tell that by the sound. And then a, a seal uh, came through that forward hatch and came down. And and then he basically when I once I undone the bindings on the dogs, he picked me up and threw me in the in the rib boat uh, like a sack of potatoes. Uh, and, and and that it really wasn't until I was in the boat that I realized oh that's the navy. I just thought it was another crazy thing the pirates would. <laughs>
0: Did uh, what was the first thing you said?
2: Oh, when I got in the boat. Yeah, just that what was, was the first word? First word out of your mouth after that went well, down. Like some people were asking me, "You all right?" "You're all right." I go, "I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm all right." <laughs> you know. And then once they got me in the Bainbridge, and and that's when I uh uh they got me in the Bainbridge, then helicoptered me over the Boxer. Uh, it, it was really there where I I had a hard time standing. Uh, uh, so I actually had to put my hand on a seal on his back. Just so I could, because my legs weren't used to being, you know, walking and standing like that.
0: Do you think you just maybe at that point you're like,
2: you I, just? And I didn't realize it till then. Yeah. Uh, and then I was on the boxer. Uh, I met some people. Uh, you know, the first night, uh, uh, you know, people asked me, "Do you sleep?" I said, "No, oh, I sleep like a baby." Uh, <laughs> the captain actually gave me uh, gave me two beers. Uh, I drank one and a half. Uh, fell asleep after taking a shower and brushing my teeth. I woke up the next morning fine. Uh, and then they brought me back to the Bainbridge, uh, and, and, that's where I stayed till the 17th of April. Uh, I was able to go down to Dam neck. I have been to, to, to a few functions of seals and, uh, I do keep in contact every, uh, every, uh, April 12th, I send a few emails and letters to, uh, Uh, to some people who are important to me.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, as a SEAL sniper, that was a very proud day for us uh, with a very happy ending. So just the ability to be able to talk to you today as a result of of what those three guys did uh, makes me very proud. So uh, after the dust settled, what, I mean, all the attention. And then, you know, there was was the movie and and the book and the movie uh, kind of, Again, that must have been just a whole different universe from the one you were just in.
2: Oh, it, it was unbelievable. But My phone didn't ring off the hook from 6 in six the morning to 10 at night for the first three months I was home. Uh, right. it, it was a, a, a world I was not used to. I did not want to be part of. Uh, the media, uh, you know, I am a big news hound. I like to keep on top of the news, but I don't believe much anymore after my incident. Uh, the media cares more about deadlines than accuracy. Uh, so for me, it was, it, it was a steep learning curve there. My poor wife had to put up with more than I did. I had four pirates. She had the whole media. <laughs> uh, when I got home, uh, five days later, I had six, uh, satellite trucks in my, yard, uh, one connected to my house. Uh, so it, it was a little strange, uh, when I got home is I was completely ignorant of, of the media blitz, uh. Uh, th- that was out there. I knew nothing of it. Uh, I-, I didn't know I was even in the news until uh, the morning after I was rescued. Uh, I was in having a cup of coffee and half a bagel, and the TV comes on, and it's my name, a page, uh, and she's talking about it. And I just got—I go, oh, geez! I just got up. I turn around. I go to the other side, and a couple of guys were there. and They go, "Don't you want to watch that?" I go, "No." <laughs> <laughs> And I've then, had enough of it. <laughs> yeah,
0: and then fast forward, uh you're kind of neck deep in the Hollywood experience. Tell me about that.
2: Uh well, well that th- that was different too. Uh, you know, uh, I uh, I actually had an agent, a lawyer, uh, you know, uh, Good. You, you know to to do all that bidding. I I hired someone myself just to handle that media world because uh, I didn't want to deal with it. Uh, you know, it was just I didn't know the industry, I don't know the business, uh, you know, so, uh, and one thing that really, really helped me, is something the SEALs told me, because I spent five days with, with the SEALs on the Bainbridge after that, because we went to save another American ship that was under attack by pirates. And one thing the SEALs, he gave me a couple words of advice and I used all three of them, but one thing that I, I really uh, helped me, and uh, I would give it, give it to anybody who's, who's in a situation that puts them out there, uh, wait a month before you make any kind of decision i mean and, and that was the best some of the best advice i got and that's what i did i said i didn't turn down anything i didn't do anything but i would consider anything and then a month i, I make that decision i think that's one of the best advice that, that i got
0: well you know what the the best piece of advice i ever got as a young platoon commander uh was if you have time take it because that's a luxury and if you don't okay do what you have to do but if you have <laughs> yeah. the time Take the time. So I guess maybe we got the same advice from the same guy.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's one thing I've always believed, you know, people ask Is my life changed or my outlook. I mean, I've always known it was, uh, you know, uh, life is fragile. Anything can happen at any time, uh, you know, and, you, and you're got to take the time uh, to, to, to enjoy it. So I've always, you know, had that, uh, uh, had that b- b- belief, but it did, it, it did reinstill in me, you know, uh, uh, time is more important than money. That's a, uh, you know, I've always believed that. And the time you have is, is so much uh, more valuable. Uh, I didn't go to sea to, to make money. I, 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 went to sea cause I love that life and, uh, and what it helped me do and the opportunities for my family that, 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 it gave me. And just like after my experience, uh, I took advantage of some of the opportunities that would help me support my family.
0: Now that you're retired, do you miss anything about that world? Do you miss being at sea or you're like, you know what? I checked that box and I got kidnapped.
2: (laughs) Uh, I said I did miss it. You know, I I retired five years ago, so it's been five years. Uh, And I said, I don't miss I miss some of the people I work with. Uh, Some of the people, and especially uh, uh, I really uh, enjoy looking back and looking at how many people were my chief mates who are now sailing captain who are better captains than I was. Uh, and and that, that's what I take, take away from it. I mean, I, I work with these very intelligent, capable guys and, and look where they are. Uh, and, and I, I know they're better cap, uh, uh, captains than me, but I, I think that's one of the things you have to do in life and in the Merchant in the ring. you got to find your replacement. You know, Who's going to take on a, a after you? Uh, you, you got to have somebody ready to step up. Uh, so that, that's one of the things uh, I take away from it, that, that, I help other guys, you know, uh, advance, but I would say it's, it's the people. Now I, I was able to help a, a guy, uh, uh, take a boat back to Miami from, uh, uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And I was out to sea for the first time since five years. And I learned, I did miss it. I like being at sea. Uh, it, it is a place that, uh, uh for me is quiet waters, even though there's turbulent time.
0: Is there any advice you'd give somebody who's maybe just graduating from the merchant Marine and they're getting ready to go out there into the fleet? What, what would you tell them?
2: Oh, I would say do everything you can do not limit yourself to anything. Do things that are below you, do things that are above you. Watch the guys who's in front of you uh, and watch the guys who was who's behind you. I, I've always said, You should always take something from everyone you work with, uh, you know, or get to know better to put in your toolbox, whether it be negative or positive. I mean, there's something we learn from everyone. So the people I work for, uh, you know, I would take what I consider their good trail. Oh, I like that. I like that part. And I would use that in my toolbox. So, And as I said, it wasn't me trying to get up there. It was people saw something in me. So I would just try and do anything I could. I don't care who was greasing. I didn't care who was paying. I, I sailed AB when I had a second mate's license because I had a tough time getting a job. I, I didn't care. I would do whatever I, I had to do because that helped me learn things. Uh, and, and and that's one thing I liked. It, it, it's not all office work. It's not all brain work. There is some uh, physical uh activity to it uh there is being outdoors it's a challenge every day every day is different so i would say be be open and do everything you can don't limit yourself uh and and learn from the people under you because a lot of them have been doing it for a little while and uh as i said as i sailed as an ab an unlicensed person i learned a lot how to treat people also under you uh you know you can be tough but it's important to be fair and 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 you gotta forgive
0: yeah. And respect is earned. Right. Especially in that situation.
2: And, and, and respect is earned. I wasn't very well liked <laughs> by a lot of my crews, to be honest, I was a pain in the ass, uh, drills working, you know, uh, I, I believe there's an eight hour work day and we worked eight hours. Um, uh, you know, so, uh but I always be, be, believed in that. And, and probably the biggest compliment I've ever gotten from someone who's worked for me was from a bosun, who's, you know, the, basically the big balls of the unlicensed. Yeah. He makes things go, the bosun. And uh, he, I worked with him on three ships together. And uh, he goes, Cap, uh, you know, uh, uh, I like working with you because I already know what you're going to say. Uh, and he was able to predict things. I go, great. And, you know, uh uh, that that really, to me, was a compliment because he knew exactly what I wanted and he wanted to give me what I wanted. and uh, I, I go, well, I can't ask for anything b- better than that. Let me know when you're done.
0: Well, if I have to choose between respected or popular, I'll take respected any day of the week. So good on you, Cap. Yep. I appreciate it. Well, sir, I want to thank you so much for spending the time. There's so much I learned over the last hour that I had no idea about. And I want to go ahead and wish you an early happy birthday tomorrow. 35, huh, sir? Oh, right 35, on. <laughs> yes. 35 leap years. <laughs> I really I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, sir. Uh, enlightening. It's been great. And uh, you are a true survivor. You live to see another day. So congratulations on everything you do. And, again, most impressed that you stayed in the fight the whole time. You never quit.
2: Well, you know, it's one thing I remind people, you know, my life was involved too, so, uh, you know, it wasn't just altruistic meetings there, I was involved in that, so for me, there, there was no choice, uh, you know, uh, y- you play the game, you win or lose, that's it, uh, but, but the one thing I take away from it, and, and it's the one thing that I, I've talked with people who've been in very tough situations, kids with cancer, 9-11, Afghanistan Iraq, they say, you know, uh, I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I went through. But I'm glad I went through it because I learned a lot about me. And, and I think that's very true. we go through tough times, uh, we will come out the other end stronger. And, and that's one thing we all have to remember, especially times like this. We're all stronger than we know. We can do more and we can take more. Uh, the strength, it, it's already within us. And if we work together, we can accomplish so much more, the, the sum being greater than the parts.
0: Well... Captain Rich Phillips, I, I couldn't have said any better, and we'll leave it at that. Again, thank you so much. I hope you have a great birthday tomorrow. Hey, folks, I want to thank you all for listening to Can You Survive This Podcast? Please share the show with friends, family, coworkers, anyone that you care about, and subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It could be the most important entertainment decision in your life. Will you be a survivor or statistic? Thank you again, sir. This is Cade out. Can You Survive? This podcast is a Cavalry audio production recorded live from The Bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Cade Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Cade Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti.
1: Naming in that, but you know how the pro words work. When we say... Judy, it means we're at the front gate. When we say this, it means we're on the stairs. When we say Geronimo, it means we're at Bin Laden. That's all it meant. It was, it was nothing but respect for the warrior.
0: Oh, did something get kicked back on that? Yeah, they
1: said, how could you disrespect the Native Americans by naming Bin Laden Geronimo? No, Bin Laden was named Cake Bread. So the wine can be pissed up if they want to, but he was not named Geronimo. Never was. but I've <laughs> always loved it
0: buddy. Every everybody's so damn sensitive right Oh now. man, I, I
1: wish we could get back to days of sarcasm and uh, irony and just jokes. Even the silly jokes, like you know, you trust me with your life, but not your money or your wife. Very just, true. Yeah, it's it, it very true. Out, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just uh, it, I mean, now it's you're gonna offend some somebody by saying anything. I even enjoy. Uh, I get in trouble for Twitter, but I enjoy saying something just to see. Like I can talk about the the snowfall in Montana within three comments that are arguing about Trump and Biden.
0: I know, dude. What do you think? What, what's what's your opinion on social media?
1: um i use it as entertainment alone and i and and i just i'll say something fucked up just to see how they react and it gets me in trouble sometimes but whatever i mean life's too short and i think that's just the i think that it's you me i i I used to travel quite a bit i'm starting to get back into it i get to talk to so many people face to face people are inherently good they just the keyboard warriors in us whatever it's like we're at a place now where you can say stuff without repercussions um and that you know like we're learning now with all the looting and rioting that an ass whooping is better than a timeout
0: yeah well the digital courage thing is
1: eh, again it's it's
0: right up there with don't waste your time don't waste your energy don't waste your
1: time yeah and and don't you know don't read the comments until you're prepared to have someone say the nastiest shit about you (laughs) but in defense of some twitter haters they're worse on twitter than instagram but in defense of of some twitter haters they're pretty clever and a lot of humor on there that i like because it's they're saying stuff to me but it's kind of funny so whatever
0: Have you found yourself getting egged into a conversation or a debate on Uh, on social? Or are you like, no, I know
1: what's going on here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take the bait. I won't, I don't get into a fight, but what I do is retweet them with their comment and say something cute to see how long it takes my Twitter followers to destroy them into deleting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Delegation, social social media delegation.
1: That's awesome. Any regrets, Rob? Yeah. Um, I had I was at my friend Rob Reeves' house um, a few nights before he, he went to Afghanistan and was inevitably shot down on uh, Extortion 17. And he asked me. He pulled out a bottle of wine and he said, "Did you want a glass of wine?" And I said, "No, I don't know why I didn't want a glass of wine with him." And he just he had his own glass of wine. And he said, "You know, one of us, one of us, one of these days. I mean, I, one of these days, a lot of us are going to get killed on one of those helicopters." Is what he said. Yeah. And I sat with him. So. And then my regret is I didn't have a glass of wine with him. So that's, that's, that's the one that comes out. Well, Everything everything else, fuck it. Learn from it. Move the fuck. Fucking on the
0: helicopters. They my, suck, yeah. but they're a necessity, my man. For
1: people is whatever it is, get over it. Awesome. Um,
0: Rob, I want to officially invite you out for elk hunting season this fall in Colorado, buddy. We'll, well chat about it, but there's an official minutes, invitation.
1: Party. And if nothing else, I'll get out there and we'll just drink some craft beer.
0: Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> we'll do both. Buddy, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know what you make an hour on the speaking circuit. So thank you again for your time. That's awesome. Uh, I, I got to hear some stuff that I, I didn't know anything about from somebody who was there. And uh, right, cool, I, I, awesome. I know my entire audience appreciates you. Uh, God bless you, bud. Thanks for what you've done. Thanks for yeah. what you continue to do. I appreciate your time. Folks, um, if you have somebody, coworker, family member, friend that you care about, Spread the word on this because our mission is to save lives. It's as simple as that. Um, Please subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get yours so you can be a survivor, not a statistic. Rob O'Neill, God bless you, buddy. Thank you.
1: Yeah, buddy. Thank you.
0: Can You Survive This Podcast is a Cavalry Audio production recorded live from The Bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Kate Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Kate Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti.